Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Um, I've, it's been, I've had a real Christmassy, I know this one will go out just before Christmas, but I've had a really Christmassy week this week. I've, uh, we did a walk around a place called Blenheim Palace, which is near us, and they do this amazing light show. It's, it's kind of lights all around the grounds, and it, oh, it was it was really nice. Although with a wind chill, it was minus eleven. Yeah, I can well believe it. It is uh, absolutely brassic. But judging by the weather forecast, when you hear this, it will be twenty degrees warmer. Yes, which, which is just mad. It is mad, isn't it? Yeah. But Blenheim Palace, it is beautiful. I've done that light show, and if you want to place it. Um, it's the birthplace of Churchill. Yes, indeed. There's lots of sculptures and things around of Churchill. And lends its name to the colour of the King Charles Spaniel. Oh, that is known know. as the Blenheim. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, because Lady Marlborough was um, a big fanatic of the King Charles Spaniel. Right. And there's a little spot of brown on top of their heads on the um, on the Blenheim Cavaliers. And it's supposed to be, it's called uh, Lady Marlborough's Kiss. And it's supposed oh. to be where... She stroked her dogs in worry when her husband was at war. Oh, well, that's a lovely mm. story. Mm. Nice. Yeah, I, so nothing... Uh, although it was fun, I was going to say nothing paranormally, but they had this amazing light show. They had a um, a fairy garden with these white lights, which I, I don't know how they worked. It must have been on kind of complex wires and strings, but it just looked like loads of fairies dashing around on this little meadow. It was really oh. good. Well, that does apply to the podcast in a way. Good. Is that a good segue? Well, it's not a good segue into what I'm talking about, but it does apply to to us in in (laughs) general. But but the cold is a segue because I said I was going to do something Christmassy, but I didn't want to do anything that was too... Um, I guess, like Krampus and stuff, everyone else has done that. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to find a new angle on something, and I think I found it. It's taken me two weeks to research this and pull it together, but it's a, it's sort of, I'm presenting it, This is it's me laying where I think this might go okay. and what a possible explanation might be. Cool. Um, but strangely for this time of year, it's very Dickensian. We've got snow on the ground yeah yeah and that doesn't often happen in in the uk um and dickens by the way the reason he has snow in all of his is because he famously lived during that period when there were snow fairs on the thames and stuff That's like right. that yeah it was completely iced over wasn't it was it? completely they, they, iced there was over. like stalls and everything on the thames aren't they? Yeah. that's right but this is where we're going to start with a fall of snow a very heavy fall of snow okay. on Thursday night, the 8th of February in 1855. And the residents of Devon woke up to find the devil's footprints. Ooh. Are you familiar with this story? I'm not, but I'm, oh. I'm, I'm excited already. So the best way of getting you into this is um, I th- there's a great researcher called Peter Moore, and he wrote co- quite a comprehensive blog about it and in that he um he's recorded a letter that was sent to the exeter and plymouth gazette and i'll just read you the first bit because it kind of sets out the scene of where we're at um sir thursday night 8th of february was marked by a heavy fall of snow followed by rain and boisterous wind from the east and in the morning frost 
the return of daylight revealed the ramblings of some most busy and mysterious animal, endowed with the power of ubiquity, as its footprints were to be seen in all sorts of unaccountable places, on the tops of houses, narrow walls, in gardens, courtyards, enclosed by high walls and palings, as well as in open fields. The creature seems to have frolicked about through Exmouth, Littleham, Limpston, Woodbury, Topsham, Starcross and Tainmouth. Its tracks appear more like that of a biped than a quadruped, and the steps are generally 8 inches in advance of each other, though in some cases 12 or 14, and are alternate like the steps of a man, and would be included between two parallel lines 6 inches apart. So... Wow. All across... Rooftops. Rooftops is pretty good, isn't it? Not only rooftops, but really perplexingly, um, there's a recording of, like, drainage pipes that are no more than four inches, and it's like the the steps go in one side and come out of the other. And they have no particular um, starting point or end point. They just... I mean, they do obviously have a starting point, but they just appear, and then they just disappear. And... In the first instance, when it was first recorded, um, people, eyewitnesses were coming in, and bearing in mind, this is a time, you know, without the internet, and news travels slowly and usually via the means of either messenger or, in this case, newspapers. Yeah. And so it's initially reported that this, the uh, print stretched for 40 miles. Actually, it turns out it was 100 miles around the South Devon coastline. And it was this unusual cloven hoof-like shape of the marks that made people have a connection to Satan. That's the very first thing they came. And and I'm right in saying from what you've just said, the 100 miles of footprints, was that in one night? Yeah, it all happened in one night. That's why uh, it still remains a mystery. I mean, that's the spoiler. But we're going to look at some explanations and then I'm going to propose another one because there's some people doing some more recent work. But this this idea of the devil's footprints really took a hold because we're talking about um, rural, very Christian communities. And at this time, the church is still talking about the devil as being a actual thing rather than mm. what they might talk about now, which is just the sense of evil or wrong. Yeah. They use it as a metaphor of wrong and right. Yeah. But about this time, um, this, uh, this author points out that Daniel Defoe had written an essay called Of the Extraordinary Appearance of the Devil and Particularly of the Cloven Foot. So this is, this is something that is becoming more and more in the popular culture. So outside of the church, we're beginning to see this in works of literature and in the theatre as well. People Mm. are taking this on board. And it's frightened people. There's a report here of um, a Dawlish, uh, in Dawlish, a group of tradesmen were so unnerved that they armed themselves with guns and bludgeons and on the morning of the 9th of February set off in pursuit of the tracks. They walked from Dawlish to Luscombe, Dawlish Water water and Oaklands, (laughs) and it concludes, at length, after a very long, weary search, they returned uh, none the wiser, Mm. which um, is sort of like indicative of that probably happened in a number of villages. That just happened to be reported to um, a newspaper. I'm just trying to imagine what the atmosphere of that would be like. Can you imagine? Because you get a few people to go. I mean, we we've kind of talked about mass hysteria in the past, but 
you get these groups of people together, armed, going out, literally trying to hunt down a devil. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I think there's there are references made to this that like these are sort of um, these are people who are like, well, the devil's not coming to our town. We don't want to be the devil town. There's this very serious thought of if there is an evil presence here, we should banish it. And to them, it feels real and like a haunting because there is no other explanation. Right. There's some great um, images of that people have drawn of these footprints, and they really are. You know, people refer to them as looking like donkey tracks, and they are like donkey tracks. Donkey because of the size, they are smaller than uh, a horse. So typically they're like four inches by two and a half inches mm. rather than, you know, you could imagine a horse would be at least sort of six or seven. Um, but there has this distinct ring like like a hoof mark or like a, a horseshoe mark, but not quite as definite as, as a horseshoe, hence, hence it being the hoof. And I, I, I guess it's like a natural mark rather than a, like a horseshoe artificial mark. Yeah, that's right. It does appear to have been made by... An actual cloven hoof. What I wonder what size that would make the inhabitant of those cloven hoofs. I guess it depends, you know, whether it's tippy toes or because I'm thinking back to those kind of images of the devil, almost goat-like images. That actually, the size of the hoof that you're describing could be quite a big entity, couldn't it? Uh, no, that's right. It could, and the so. Today we would take a look at the depth of the print to ascertain the weight of the animal yeah, yeah, of course. And, and probably measure the distance between prints to gather the gait and therefore estimate the length of the um, the legs. People didn't do that. Yeah. And it's important, when I read out at the beginning that it had snowed heavily, then rained, then frosted, there is a distortion to some of these, more in some places than others. Right. And this is something that people use when they come up with the explanations that we'll come to later. Right. But the, some of the uh, the London Illustrated News start getting people sending in suggestions as to what could have caused this. It really does capture the public's imagination. Um, so uh, somebody says, um, birds could not have left these marks as no bird's feet have the impression of a hoof. Or, even were there a bird capable of doing so, could it proceed in the direct manner above stated? Nor would birds, even if they had the donkey's feet, <laughs> confine themselves to one direct line. But hop here and there, but the nature of the mark at once sets this aside from being the track of a bird. And a lot of hopping to do over 100 miles in a night. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> if you go with the theory there's a bird with a kind of cloven hoof. But the the, the reason this... this um, newspaper article or this letter gains a little attention is because it's pointed out in the editorial around it that the writer of uh, that particular letter had passed a five months winter in the backwoods of Canada and has much experience in tracking wild animals and birds upon the snow and can safely say that he has never seen a more clearly defined track or one that appeared to be less altered by the atmosphere than one in, the one in question. Do we, we need to break in? and let the dog in? <laughs> that is not a cloven hoof beast trying to get into our podcast. I'm letting the dog in again. Hello. Well, our, cloven, oh. our cloven hoof beast has now entered the studio, so if you hear some scratching, licking, barking, 
<laughs> that's better. No, we're not doing that joke again. That, <laughs> that's the dog. He he he's currently breathing his dog meat breath all over me <laughs> and trying to climb on the computer. Um, but this will not make a good podcast, Bear, because we need to tell the audience about what happened next. So you sit there and listen. Yeah, he's a good boy. So basically, there's this gathering of people offering um, different explanations. So there's one I particularly like uh, that uh, offers the theory that the tracks are from a kangaroo. Ooh. But, of course, we know that kangaroos, they use their tail to balance yeah, and push, yeah. so that wouldn't work. Well, and also, they wouldn't be jumping onto roofs. I know they're quite big, you know... Well, the poor old kangaroo, it gets blamed for everything. If we go with this, it's the cloven devil, it's Springheel Jack, it's all kinds of stuff, werewolves, it's everything. Well, well, this is, this is very much the thing. The reason the kangaroo comes up is because people are saying, well, look, it's on the top of houses, it's in people's right. covered back gardens, it must be something that can leap a wall. Mm. So they go, kangaroo. Although, I do... oh, that, but I'm no David Attenborough, but... Haven't they got like big long feet? I completely misunderstood who I'm doing this podcast with. <laughs> They've got big long feet, though, haven't they? they ha well, yes, but what they're saying is that there's the point of um, sort of execution of the jump is at the oh, end of I the see. foot, but they they completely miss that the tail is crucial to the jump. Yeah, yeah. And I really like the fact that this person makes a bit of an argument that it might be a kangaroo, but then goes on to say. Or it could be a wolf or another beast escaped from a travelling menagerie. I love the way he's just kind of run out of arguments <laughs> yeah, and yeah. gone, yeah. all right, okay, I've talked myself out of kangaroo. <laughs> right, it's a wolf. Yeah. And um, he would have to assume that a wolf was walking upright on, <laughs> on some mysteriously cloven okay. feet. So, so we have a bird that somehow manages to have cloven feet, which doesn't exist, and we've got a kangaroo uh, or, or, or other escaped menagerie animal that's right and i suppose all of this comes down to the fact that who is the first person to report and who is recording all of this stuff because we have to be careful of third-hand accounts and that is actually quite difficult because a lot of it is relayed from oh this person saw this letter and therefore said this but there's a really interesting piece of material which you can only find in um, an academic library that I managed to get access to. And oh, I say get access to, it's not like I was doing something after 24. I just had to ask the right people. Anybody can get this. You can get it as a yeah. PDF. I, I had this vision of you as Nicolas Cage from National Treasures. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to find, um, you know, who who might have said something accurate about what was actually discovered and then um it we go back to a good old 14 times um charles fort wrote a book called the book of the damned which you probably all know in 1919 and there was um, a man who helped him put that together called mike dash and mike dash has put together probably the best um I guess, collection of source material on this particular event that anyone has ever achieved. So it's huge. It's a huge piece of work. So obviously I'm not going to go through it, but I wanted to point out some of the things which are consistent that we can sort of say with surety that happened. So we know that there were 
direct eyewitness reports from 30 locations across the county. And there were one or two in Dorset as well. Now, if you're not familiar with the um, the layout of the UK, Dorset is really close to Devon. It sort of tucks in to the side and slightly underneath it. So that isn't unusual. And it all of the evidence points to the fact it was left by a single, I say creature, but entity. Mm. But the the incredulity is that when you put all of those sightings together, it is a hundred miles, and it is uh, in one night. Wow. And there's this very interesting bit where this is this is a first-hand account again from what the footprints looked like, and this is a, a handwritten report from the scene, if you like. And this, these are the exact words: sometimes the prints appeared cloven, sometimes not, and the stride was tiny almost mincing at between 8 and 16 inches. I love a mincing devil. (laughs) Um, The circumstances were unusual. Devon, and indeed much of Britain, was in the grip of an especially severe winter, one so fierce that the thermometer was one degree lower than had been seen before, even by the oldest inhabitant. And the River X and the River Tain froze over for part of their length, allowing games or on one occasion a feast to be held on the ice. See my callback there. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I'm starting to feel a bit wussy <laughs> about moaning about minus eleven windshield. <laughs> so the the accuracies of the snowfall were that it fell heavily at about midnight on the night of eighth to ninth, which we've already established, and then it's true that towards dawn the temperature rose and there was rain, but the thermometer then fell once more and there was a frost at dawn. And these are circumstances in which trails and footprints can be considerably distorted by the mm. process of thawing and refreezing. I was thinking about that, actually. That did cross my mind. Yeah. And so this is why various people start sort of suggesting outlandish ideas, like trying to prove that the tracks of a normally... Uh, motivated, using the term in its correct way, uh, otter with four legs. The tracks could um, be left, uh, melted and refrozen to form these peculiar shapes. But it still doesn't understand what... It still doesn't explain either why one otter would bother to do a 100-mile circuit, or it's not even a circuit, a single 100-mile... Uh, journey why the prints appear and then disappear and more importantly how had they never been seen before because otters particularly at that time were not incredibly uncommon and snow was not incredibly uncommon and it isn't uncommon for footprints to refreeze if you you know you you walk around town now and some of the footprints of in the snow here have defrosted somewhat when the sun, the sun hit them during the day and then have refrozen and you you sort of get that shiny aspect to the bottom of the footprints which makes them slippery but, but again i wouldn't have thought an otter like back to my attenborough i'm not sure an otter would go on a reef would it or would it i don't know i don't know enough about otters i don't think otters i don't think would, it's no. his natural environment is it a rooftop no 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 but there's one there's one man who collects more information than others, and this is um, the Reverend Roe of Mary Church, 
who retained a distinct uh, recollection of the event. And he's got a slightly different take on it. And I think this is interesting, but it doesn't really doesn't answer anything. But he said, um, uh, recollecting the events of the 9th of February from a distance of 40 years. So this is an interview with him, uh, you know, towards the end of his life. Several witnesses added further details, which might or might not be accurate. One heard how the hoofprints had been discovered to alternate at huge but regular intervals, with a mark like that left by the tip of a crutch stick. So what he's implying here is that there's a group of japesters. Right. And the other thing that he says is, the same gentleman was also spun a scary yarn about an attempt by a local hunt to corner the beast that had made the prints, which was uh, cornered in a wood near Dawlish, but left unharmed by hounds that came back baying and terrified. So, you know, those two accounts, particularly if they're from the same man, one seems to be suggesting Jape, the other seems to be suggesting... There was a beast. There was a beast. Um, and lots of people did advance the theory that it was a prankster. Somebody... Um, very seriously tried to recreate some of the footprints using stilts and showed how a man could use stilts to create similar <laughs> hoof prints. But, you, can, you know, again, it's like, I'll tell you what, I've got a really good prank. It's bloody freezing out there. It's snowing. Let's get the stilts out and travel 140 miles in one night, it'll be a right old laugh. Yeah, Frank, how do you feel about climbing up on that yeah, roof? Get it, I'll, <laughs> I'll pass the stills up. You're right, you're right, Frank. You would think it would be impossible not to either slip over, um, you know, have to dismount and remount when you're going over yeah. a hedge. It would leave human footprints. It definitely would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we then look at, probably the most outlandish explanation that was ever put forward. <laughs> what, not cloven-hoofed birds? There's one more. <laughs> oh, oh, aside from the devil. Aside from the devil. Um, now, this is a, a novelist who I hadn't heard of, and only died in 1988, Geoffrey Household. That's a great name, oh, isn't what? it? That's a great name. He's got a household a, name. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> uh, you've got to wonder what his ancestors were yeah, yeah. doing. Like, do you think it would be interesting to trace the history of the phrase household name, wouldn't it? Actually, yes. Could come, okay. could come from him, right, for all we know. That sounds like one for James. It does, yeah, yeah. Mystery Hour will call in. By the way, hello, James. I saw him at the weekend. Uh, saw him in the week. Um, oh, I was, I was thinking of James O'Brien's Mystery Hour. Oh, no, I was thinking James for the Norman. Yeah, um, that's even better. <laughs> More likely to happen. <laughs> um. So he says, an experimental balloon produced the devil's footprints. Can you imagine what? how he ballooned hey, what, what? it? Hold on. No, that is more ridiculous than the, the devil himself or a cloven hoof bird. He claims the... A balloon? Yeah. He claims the balloon was kept at the naval base in Devonshire Dockyard. Devonport Dockyard, I'm sorry. And it somehow got free and set off on a journey across the countryside. The balloon carried two shackles at the end. And these caused the balloon to continually Ooh. dip down. It was right. these shackles making frequent contact with the snow that pitted Devon with its trail of curious marks. Household source was one Major Carter, a local man who'd heard the story from his granddad and was an employee at the Devonshire ba the Devonport base. 
Carter's grandfather told him that the incident had been hushed up because the balloon had damaged conservatories and shattered <laughs> greenhouses and windows. Aww. The balloon finally ceased its flight at the East uh, Devon town of Holliton. I love that. I love the fact that back in those days, so, you know, in America, <laughs> if you buy into the conspiracy theories, they're covering up an alien craft <laughs> crashing at Roswell and alien beings are being kept at Area 51... The Victorian British version is a little balloon escaped with a couple of prongs on the end <laughs> and damaged a conservatory. That's right, right. It, and we got to hush it up. <laughs> and that idea of, you know, why have we got to hush it up? Because somebody's conservatory <laughs> yeah, got broken. It's so British, isn't it? it? It's so British. And I know I get the feeling that people would come out and go, oh, well, look, we're sorry about the balloon thing. Yeah. Um, and, and curiously... There is no, um, there is no reporting in all of that large body of academic work. I cannot find a broken conservatory. I was quite surprised <laughs> to find eighteen fifty five had conservatories. I didn't know that they did. I just got this idea though of some kind of military captain on his deathbed. <laughs> it was a balloon. <laughs> da, da, da. It's not going to be the best kind of movie ever, is it? <laughs> I, I just like, yeah. And we just couldn't tell anyone because there were those three broken windows down near Exmoor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And subject to re replace a pane of glass. We've hushed it up for years. <laughs> <laughs> but it did get me. Thinking. I love the theory, though. It's quite because I can see how that could work. Because it would also explain the roof bit as well. It, it would. ticks that box. It would. Yeah. And there is, no, um, there is no suggestion in that theory that when the marks get to the edge of, um, like, a, a, a tunnel that's too small, uh, that... Um, yeah, how's that work? Well, well, because they don't necessarily have to go through it. It just kind of... Oh, one it, side and then the other. One side and then the other, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, because no. it goes over... A wall, yeah. Uh, sorry, so maybe drainage under a wall, you know. Yeah. That'd be a hell of a thing to see, though, in action, wouldn't it? That'd be quite in those days. That would, because I wouldn't imagine those kind of balloons. I don't know, but I can't imagine they were everywhere. It still would be a weird, surreal thing to view. But oh, surely somebody would have seen that, wouldn't they? In 1855, balloons are not very ubiquitous. Yeah, they're usually used for shows. And you know what this reminded me of? because balloons are often used for scapegoats, the yes. Sonora Aero Club. Yes, well, and Roswell, because that was a weather balloon that was the scapegoat, really. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and I did find an interesting little bit of date knowledge, because I rechecked up on the Sonora Aero Club and looking at the dates of it. Are you, you, are you familiar? We haven't spoken about this on the show, I don't think. Uh, we've done. We did it a little bit. Uh, we covered it a little bit when we talked about uh, World War One airship oh, UFO that's right. sightings. Yes, briefly we've covered it. So we know. Well, the only evidence of this secretive club comes from um, the work of this immigrant um, Charles Albert August Delshaw, and he he goes to Galveston in eighteen forty nine and then lives his life in Texas and he's a butcher. But then, like, years later, and, he, you know, he just has this average, normal life, but he, he has this undertaking, it's this great, he calls it his undertaking, where he goes and writes in the, in the, in the loft, and, and nobody knows what he's writing 
about. They just assume it's a hobby, paintings and stuff. And um, in, it's not until 1960 when there's a house fire and they just assume this is junk and they pour it out onto the street. But what they find is this incredible account in vivid detail of his work on uh, uh, with uh, this Society of Airship Makers in California uh-huh. in the mid before there were such things as airships, he is working with these people in Yosemite making airships. That is his claim. And he, he's got he, the technical drawings. He used to live in Devon, but one of his balloons smashed a window in a conservatory and he decided to flee the country and go to California. <laughs> <laughs> Air travel would have advanced so much faster <laughs> yeah. if we hadn't yeah. broken that conservatory. Yeah, if, we, if we didn't have conservatories. Yeah. But I like this idea of, you know, so if there's if there really was a Sonora Air Club, then perhaps the British were experimenting with something similar. And it's it's right in the time period, but I'm not pushing that as a theory. Well, uh, again, I, I may, uh, maybe there is a sound reason, and anybody who knows about ballooning could maybe let us know, but I wouldn't have thought you're going to go, I know. I mean, I get the escape balloon thing, the, the small one, but if you were part of that club, you're not going to go, you know what, it's like bitterly cold out there, it's coming down with snow, it's dark... Perfect time to go ballooning. <laughs> well, I guess unless you want to keep it secret, maybe that is a good time. Does seem outlandish or off offlandish at least. Yeah, it does. It makes some sense, but I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. Mm. And nor is what I'm about to tell you, but I do think <laughs> I do think it holds more weight than okay. a mysterious glass smashing balloon. So let me paint the picture. This is Devon, which, according to um, MUFON, in 2021 had the eighth most reported UFO sightings in the country. I know where we're going. And one of the very first ones I pulled out just as a... uh, uh, just as an illustrator, because it's in the right region... Matthew Evans, 36, said he spotted a bright unidentified object while looking out of his window in his top floor flat in Tynemouth last week. That's right in the middle of where we're talking about. And he's got photos of four bright lights in a triangular formation. But we can go further than that. And there's this really fascinating chap, and I really want to actually meet him. I've seen some interviews with him. He's called Phil Hoyle. And... He runs something called the APFU. And what they do is look into um, animal mutilations, very specifically animal mutilations around Wales and then sometimes down into Devon and Gloucestershire. So he he says this is something that people are um, ignoring. And one of the things that he says about these um, cattle mutilations is that there is a lack of blood or footprints at the scene, which is kind of the opposite of what we're looking for. Yeah. But he he has this interview, which I was reading, and he's talking about this uh, these attacks on sheep and wildlife as well, but sheep. And he says, we're looking to the UFO connection 
because the things that people are describing are unconventional and they're entering and leaving the sea. We have some farmers that have seen unusual lights and found animals killed in an extremely surgical way. Did you say the sea? Yeah, USOs. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, which is something we've not really covered, which, which I've, I've always thought we've got, we've got to get onto that. So good, I'm glad we're going there. The technology involved in these attacks is frightening. These lights and spheres are clearly not ours. They are built by technology and intelligence that's not from here. And then I heard him... Well, I didn't hear him. I, I read him describe the next bit. He, he thinks that these UFOs like to roam a specific 50-mile corridor between Shrewsbury and Powys, but Dartmoor and the Forest of Dean in Gloucestershire are our other hunting ground, other, their other hunting grounds. Dartmoor is slap-bang by the Devil's Footprint sightings. Right, right. It's right there. Sheep have been found with neat holes in their brains and other internal organs removed. Others have lost eyes or had their flesh carefully stripped away, usually on the left side. And he says, we're devoting our lives to carrying out serious research into the animal mutila mutilation mystery and increasing reports of red and orange spheres. So mm. there's, this, there's this notion that if we are using if if we're assuming that these that these tracks are they really did exist and it sounds like they really did it isn't just um mythology and um misreporting it seems that they were then perhaps they are made by the accidental outpourings of some ufo perhaps and we're not the first people to have said that despite me saying I was drawing this line. There's only one other person that I can find that has drawn a direct con sort of um, comparison with, you, with this. And so, in terms of the prints, so are we saying? Well, I guess we don't know, but you could see the craft themselves could be making the imprints. The inhabitants of the craft could be making the imprints. Or I guess it depends how they kind of carry these things off, the animals itself. That, you know, I was just, uh, this is weird, this is a leap, but you could kind of go, okay, well, they, maybe a kind of a sheep's hoof could make it ways onto yeah. a roof in that scenario. That's it's right. being lifted up. Kind of thinking of um, the remake of War of the Worlds. They were they kind of grab stuff up almost with like a big kind of fairground claw and were taking them up, yeah. Well, or a net, yeah. There's a writer called George Lyle, and in the Flying Saucer Review, he suggested the prints might have been made by a laser beam used as some sort of measuring device by mm. a flying saucer. Now, the other thing that we find, so when you talk about which elements of the saucer phenomena could be causing this, I think there were a number of, like, extremely improbable uh, ideas but not all of them can be discounted because we know they happen so for example in uh in these welsh accounts of the mutilations the farmers have been suggesting that they are seeing what they describe as mini star wars battles in their fields they describe lasers and then they describe a big light coming down and then mm. their sheep has been taken and the next thing they know this sheep is upside down in a tree there was one yeah. farmer who was so paranoid about this happening. 
he employed an ex-SAS soldier to come and guard his sheep because he was losing thousands. But he has gone on record and swears that he saw these lights and movements happening. Yeah. Now, the other thing that obviously happens with these things is the movement... Sorry, can I go back to the sheep, actually? Yeah, yeah. Do you saying that's happened or he was worried about that happening? No, that happening. happened. So sheep in trees. Sheep in trees. Wow. And not only sheep in trees, really peculiar behaviour, like a whole field of bullocks going completely missing and then a reappearing moments later inside a locked barn. Wow. So they're all out grazing. Genuinely, this is this is a shorthand of the account. They're all out grazing. Uh, we know bullocks. It's not a rude word. Yeah. Uh, there's 100 of them, let's say, yeah. more or less. Farmer turns around to get something out of the tractor, all gone, panics. <laughs> like, where the hell have they gone? I've, I've lost me bollocks. He's looking around. <laughs> he hears this noise. The There is a locked winter barn. All these bullocks are inside it, but it's not big enough for 100 bullocks. They are crammed in there like sardines. Oh, I think I've heard this story before. He opens yeah, the door yeah. and they pile out. They don't want to be in there. It is not possible to round up 100 bullocks into a barn not big enough for them and push them in. Even the most skilled dog could not do that. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe what we're dealing with is... So if we're sort of, you know... If we say that Roswell was an alien crash, I'm not saying it is, but their technology fails. Perhaps their technology, they it was causing a peculiar pattern on the ground because mm. their measuring devices went wrong or mm. even, even something as bizarre as the, uh, some sort of probe was carrying a cow and its feet were dangling down. Now, I know you're all going to say, oh, well, it wouldn't leave hoof prints. And I think there's a problem with that. But there are various ways and means that a UFO could have made it. And with all of these sightings and being in the right place of the UK, it's an intriguing thought. Well, and also, it's also making me think about what we were talking about last week with uh, alien replicating probes. Because we were talking about the fact they could... I mean, these were micro-nano probes, but they could be bigger than that. Um, and we were talking about they might replicate and swarm together now if they were looking for something in that area they could be landing and traveling around every and acting like a probe would be because it yeah there wouldn't be a logic to that you know well there would be but it would seem to everyone else there's the random pattern of these things so similar principle yeah there's um there's another guy <laughs> he has a um uh an interesting theory just i'm not going to leave the ufos but um uh, he's called um, Peter Colosimo, and in uh, 1985 he published a book all about the the Devon hoofbreds. And his conclusion, and I do like this conclusion. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was published in Milan. Uh, his conclusion that it was made by a creature similar to the Loch Ness monster. Because we all know what the Loch Ness Monster looks like. <laughs> yeah. It was never translated into another language. Right, right. <laughs> hey, there's a Loch Ness Monster on the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a Loch Ness Monster on the roof. Now, I think the thing that would have been most useful is if we had been able to see what these prints look like. Well, uh, probably more useful would have been an actual sighting of the thing that made it, but I'm assuming there's nothing there. There's no reports of that. Uh, no, there are no reports. Which reports is about, mysterious but, in itself, in a way. 
but I can help you with a photograph of the prints. Well, okay. not those prints, but they're back. Oh, well, that, what, sorry, they've, they've, they've returned. Put, yes. So in 2009... Wow. Um, uh, and I love the, 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 the Daily Mail called it Satan's Footprints. Right. But um, this, uh, this woman in Devon found uh, a similar set of prints. Her name is, uh, well, they call her Grandmother Jill. And uh, she said, which, which, which has a certain degree of credibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in Walsery, Devon, right. and she took a photograph of what she thinks are the same cloven hoof prints going through her gut. Um, oh, uh, I think it, I, I think I might have seen these. Can I look? look? Yes, I've seen these. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, normally we would say we'll put pictures of these up online. I don't think you're missing much, are you? There, you're not missing much, but you do get the idea. They are cloven, and yes, they, they are, are cloven. They are one after the other, and they do have a definite distance between them. They do, they do, which seems to be consistent until certain points, um, where it do, they do seem to get slightly closer together and slightly further away. And, and they, do they start and disappear as well? They? So they sort of start at the end of the garden and peter off into the field. Right. It's not 100 miles yeah. and it is more easily explainable. But I like the fact that... Um, it's still there. It's still there. But they're not the only ones either. I, and again, if I was a copywriter for the tabloids, I might go for Devon and Hell. Now... You should probably be right for the Daily Mail because that was a very lazy article. I did find some other source material. So I know that it wasn't just um, what I now know is called yellow journalism. It wasn't that. It really was really... They picked it up off a local news source. Right. Um, just ran. And just ran with it. I still... The, there's so few of them, I still think it's feasible that a goat can walk on its hind legs for that amount of time. But... There's some in 1945 in Belgium, and um, on January the 10th of that year, uh, behind uh, uh, so in the snow on a, a hill behind a place called the Chateau de Morveau, there's these hoof prints, and they're two and a half inches long by one and a half wide, so they're slightly smaller than the ones that are seen in Devon. And they're encompassed by uh, a series um, of a pair of two prints nine inches apart, that then formed a perfect single file line of tracks spaced 12 to 15 inches apart, as if whatever had been making them had been hopping along. And the tracks wandered for several miles across hillside, forest, fields, a stream. The ones in Devon crossed the river. Um, and strangely, they went over some very deep snowdrifts, yet there was no sign of an animal's body sinking within the snow. Only those odd footprints perched atop of the frozen white snow. Right, which would suggest either something supernatural or quite light. Yes, yes. So the you 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 make a good point because the the author of this report points out that there were two very uh, specific theories for this, and they um, uh, they gloriously alliterate. Some people swore it was a goat. And some people swore it was a ghost. And um, 
<laughs> and neither neither could agree with the other. <laughs> you got you, you got the believers, you got the doubters. You got the goats, or you got your ghosts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it isn't a unique event, and it does seem to happen not just in in Devon, but in other places. Although Devon has this most marked event and the the intriguing thing about it is that not one explanation really offers as a way forward to kind of go stroke my chin yeah yeah that sounds like the most reasonable one i mean see some people say that um it was so, so people you know said it was a donkey you go that can't be a donkey donkey's got four legs and then some people said ah but what if it was a very precise donkey who was walking in the footsteps of his own footsteps if you see what i mean mm. so it appeared <clears throat> to have only two legs i did think about and, that and then you go yeah but it's on a roof yeah and i've never the, seen the a donkey yeah. in a snowstorm jump up on a roof yeah and continue directly from the route that he left the ground. But, but it's also the amount of miles travelled. That's uh, It's the roof and the amount of miles travelled that are the big one. I mean, I was thinking, out of everything you've said today, um, I, for a kind of sceptic point of view, things that are hitting me are thing the idea that tracks can be made then there's sunlight then there's rain and then it refreezes that all kinds of weird patterns mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can be made mm-hmm. and i was actually thinking when you take into account the rooftops maybe it is a big bird that's created a kind of you know like a, a raptor mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. created that print the sun's melted it a bit. It's formed into a round circle, even though it wasn't that originally. And it's multiple birds over multiple areas. And it's a weird phenomenon caused by, you know, strange weather conditions. Yeah, you wouldn't be the first person to talk about a raptor because there was a scientist at the time who wrote in saying that he felt it was some sort of carnivorous bird. Right. that was carrying a particularly large piece of prey. But the the issue, again, is that it's it, 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 it crosses rivers. If it, if it was carrying a bit of prey and it couldn't get off the ground, mm. how did it get through a, a deep river mm. without losing the prey or losing itself? You know, a bird wouldn't do that. And why would it make the effort of going 100 miles? Yeah, but that's my point. I'm saying it's not carrying prey. It's making its normal raptor tracks in the snow, but because of the variation in weather conditions, they've that's almost moulded into something that could look like a hoof. Yeah. And we're not talking about one bird. We're talking about multiple birds in the area. It's the weather phenomenon the weather, right. that's caused it. And it's a natural thing. And normally, in normal weather conditions, even snowy ones, they would look like raptor prints. But maybe something unique about the weather that day created this weird pattern. Yeah, I, I think you might have a point. And I could imagine that in those sort of weather conditions, a bird, particularly if it's ailing or young or old, could not fly. 
Yeah. And it, it, it could be more than one of them, and it's just a complete coincidence that they carried on. But I'm still going to say it's aliens. Well, <laughs> there is one more theory. I know the timing's wrong, but the only hoofed animal that I know that could be on a rooftop... Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen. And the other ones. Um, Rudolph. Jennifer. Yeah. And David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good shout, actually. I know it's February. Maybe maybe they forgot a few past. Maybe they forgot Devon and Cornwall. <laughs> and had to go back. <laughs> they had to go back. I got back. They slept for a bit. It was a... Hey, we're getting all these letters from Devon and Cornwall. Nobody's got anything. <laughs> Hook up the reindeer. We're off out. Well, that's as good an explanation as any. Yeah. I mean, am I uh, am I more convinced than that by my aliens? I mean, they're both as they're both as unlikely. But um, I think if I was going to go for, a, I think the weather, weird weather, is probably where I'd probably throw my hat into the ring if I had to make a choice. I like the alien theory though, because it, you know, I love that concept of we've covered it a few times on the podcast. But I just love that idea of being able to see this incredible alien technology in that time frame of the 1800s or, you know, we've gone back as far as the 1500s, even earlier, just to see the 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 contradiction between those two things, those yeah, two, yeah. the technology of the planet and the technology of the aliens would just be incredible. So... I think my heart would like to lean to some kind of alien explanation. Well, I got two more weird footprints in the snow. Go on, go for it. Um, these particularly caught my eye. Uh, I hadn't realised uh, that the Indian Army tweeted on the 9th of April 2019 that they had discovered the footprints of the Yeti. Oh. Yeah, one of their mountaineering expeditions. Uh, 32 by 15 inches, and... Um, they posted pictures of them. Uh, they're quite good. Again, it's one of those things you'd love to believe it. I like the fact it's the army doing it as well because we, you know, I know we've said it a few times. It's to, to kind of officially publish these things is what I always find really strange from military and and police bodies. Like individual accounts, you can probably explain away, but somebody publishing these is interesting. Well, I did have a look to see if they'd ever said it was a joke, and they. As far as I can tell, they never did. Although you should read the responses. Really? Yeah, everyone's like, uh, what are you talking about? Are you mad? <laughs> yeah. uh, but they do look... I mean, it's either an elaborate hoax and you'd wonder why the Indian Army were doing that yeah, or yeah. it was something real. Yeah. Another one, though, that wasn't an elaborate hoax, as far as anyone knows, comes from 1840 and it's from the remote Kerguelen Island. Kerguelen? Kerguelen, I'm going to say Kerguelen, islands of the southern Indian Ocean. And according to the description, these are windswept, rocky, treeless, frozen islands. And they're surrounded by really rough grey waters. And they are 2,051 miles from the nearest trace of civilization. And uh, Madagascar Island, making one of the most isolated places on Earth and earning the islands their nickname, De the Desolation Islands, which... Right. Yeah. 
It's going to be tough for the tourist board, isn't it? I mean, Pat, I was going to say, <laughs> that is hard. Come to the Desolation Islands, drinks are free. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise it's the only plant life um, here is the chilli. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and wow. uh, there are some lichens, mosses and grasses, but the only actual plant is the chilli. Wow. And uh, animal life is... Must have a good constitution. (laughs) 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 There are, strangely, all the insects are uh, uh, curry feeds. So there's insects, there's curry... uh, That's not curries. There's seals, um, some seabirds and some penguins, and some feral rabbits, cats and sheep that have been introduced by passing ships. I always feel really, really bad for the... The cats that get off the shipwrecks. Uh, oh, thanks, guys. What am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. But um, it was in that May in 1840, Captain Sir James Ross found himself on these shores as part of an expedition to catalogue the plant and animal life of the archipelago's main island of Grand Terre, which I think just means big earth, doesn't it? Yeah, or big so. ground. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The island was described as mostly being a barren, lifeless wasteland of sparse lichens, moss, etc. Yes, we we know this. We know this. No land animals at all. Indeed, they will be killed by the chilies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is contradicting himself there yeah, by describing say, the cats. Yeah, yes, yeah. but um, you know, I'll maybe, take this. Maybe account. not native. Um, but uh, it was for this reason that he thought that he would discover really nothing. But one small detachment led by a Lieutenant Bird came across a rather odd sight as they went about their searching the inhospitable snow-swept land. There, in the freshly fallen snow, was a line of horseshoe-shaped, hoof-like tracks measuring three inches long and two and a half inches wide, which meandered through the snow for a while before disappearing into a rocky area without snow. Since the island had proven to be devoid of all any uh, uh, devoid of any large land animals, the expedition had no horses or ponies. It was baffling, apparently. That is, that, that is quite bizarre. Now, I think that that is um, more convincing in a way than the Devon mm. one, because if you then sort of assume that there's okay you know some people did suggest rabbits okay maybe there's a rabbit um mate cats is a good shout though for the for the one you know the theory i was talking about because they do go on roofs yeah yeah they do they do um the the only issue with that i suppose is that we're not dealing here so the weather conditions aren't um recorded Mm. but if it is a desolate snow covered place and the cats are scratching a living from birds and eating chilies and (laughs) they're the first people to invent wild bird korma (laughs) um where is this coming from what is it doing why would a cat footprint suddenly look like a bipedal set of hoof prints Um, and that for me, in in the world of devil's footprints, that's a really is, yeah. There, there's some real credibility there to that one, particularly as it's in the desolation island. Yeah, well, it's that fact, isn't it? The lack of any, you know, 
major diversity of wildlife, let's put it that way. Well, as you can imagine, some of his crew did not like this at all, and they took it as a sign that things were not going to go well. I can see that would really spook a crew, wouldn't it? It would really spook a crew. And I think he had a great deal of difficulty explaining it. In fact, I had one account where... Um, the ship's holy person, who I'm assuming is a vicar, yeah. had to bless everybody that was coming back aboard the ship because they were worried that they had come close to evil. <laughs> and this, again, of course, is this... <laughs> i got this vision of them coming back, going, there's something weird out there, and the guy going, oh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> Morris has seen the devil again. Yeah, bless. Should we let him back on? (laughs) But uh, so ships again, it's worth pointing out. I mean, it doesn't really take us anywhere, but it is worth pointing out that because of the danger of going to the high seas, ships are religious places at this time. And very much like rural England, they reflect each other, even though probably I would suggest that a ship is a much more intense environment. And during the time of a storm, you probably want to sit as close to the vicar as you possibly can. Yeah. And well, also, I think where, the way you described the island and the location, um, yeah, just that feeling of the lack of wildlife. I think if you were visiting it for the first time, yeah. you'd almost think this place is cursed. Yeah. <laughs> and you eat one of the fiery chilies, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. That's really interesting. Incidentally, I did come across a reason why the chilies are there. Yeah, I was thinking that. Go on. Oh, it's because, uh, well, the the best guess is that because chilies are designed to be eaten by birds, because birds don't have taste buds, so they dissuade every other animal from eating them. And, of course, a bird going on a migrationary path... Yeah. Spreads 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 the the chili seeds. seeds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, And so they start growing there, yeah. Uh, and of course, there's no natural predators apart from the other birds, of course. But yeah. you know, penguins are not going to eat chilies. So, wow. I, I think I, it's reminded me. I, I was going to tell you actually, a friend of mine's son has just come back from South America. I think he's a he's a student. He's he's really into his wildlife, especially kind of scorpions. And so he'd gone there as a, a kind of expedition in the jungle. Uh, and it's not been confirmed yet, but uh, they think he's found a brand new species of bat, or one that's never been oh, recorded. Wow. Yeah, it's and not. It's quite a, rare to find a cloven-footed you know. bat. Isn't well, it? but it, it's interesting. You know, if your story had started with this thing on an island, almost that narrative could work quite well. Some, you know, I'm yeah. thinking a cloven-hoofed bird could exist in that kind of environment because, you know. You always think, I think we've done something before on kind of how, how little of the planet species has been found, but it's generally insects and, you know, plant life and things that are quite small, but, you know, mammals are quite rare, I think, to find. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I think that's very true. I think there's um, some people who believe that um, the, oh, there was an, an extinct australian animal that they thought was extinct which come back but um and there was uh, there was a there's a batty person i was reading the day who's going to see if they can track down a dodo they're convinced they're not extinct as well but um, good luck to them but um 
Oh, we'd have to stop using the phrase dead as a dodo. I'd like to see a dodo. Weirdly, I was having this... That's quite odd. I was having the conversation about the dodo with my son in the car today. Because oh. uh, he, he was saying, I don't know where he's got this from, probably some YouTuber is making it up, but he said there's some move afoot to kind of clone a dodo from yeah. DNA. Yeah, there is, yeah. Yeah, and I... Um, so he's not making it up. Um, so, uh, and I was saying I'd love to see one. It'd be quite... There's, yeah. um, there's a dodo at one of the Oxford University museums that still has some flesh right. on it that's been preserved. And there was a thought there'd be some DNA in there. In, and in fact, this is going to be a whole other episode because I discovered the other day, we think that we find dinosaurs just completely bereft. Sometimes they find them with bits of meat attached. Like really? it's sort of been preserved in permafrost and stuff as wow. well. Wow. Um, and I need to look into that. It was just a passing article. I thought, oh, I'll file that for later. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but look, I'm going to leave you all to do your Christmas shopping. But just think, if you wake up and it's covered in snow outside, mm. have a look for single file cloven hoof prints. Yeah. Careful uh, when you're getting up on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> or going over those walls. Yeah. And if you see that there is some mating weasels or a giant clod-footed bird that's doing it or a UFO... Please get a picture because I really want to know what is up to this, uh, what is causing this mystery. Similarly, if a small helium balloon (laughs) cracks a pane in your conservatory, we want to know about it. To be fair, I think the implication was it was a man-carrying balloon. That's what they call them, right? Man-carrying balloons. Like those man-carrying aeroplanes. I don't know what the word is. Uh, uh, I'm going to call it a man-carrier. Yeah. as uh, well, people carry. We call people carriers cars. Yes, yeah, cars, people yeah. carriers. Um, but yeah, I think that is fascinating. And that part of Devon, there's so is, much there. Isn't there, there is so much there. Yeah, yes, there's so much there. Well, I that's fascinating, and I like I like that journey through the different uh, the different causes, maybe. But I like the fact you expanded it out into other parts of the world it was really interesting. And now I'm I've now got this vision in my head of the island with the chilies and probably nothing what it looks like but i've definitely got a kind of image in my head of it it's just got one devil like being sat there going nobody visits me every time they come here they leave me a cat yeah i don't even like cats i'm a dog person just like i hope 10 foot 10 uh 10 foot round scott bonnet (laughs) (laughs) everywhere well look um I hope well, we're not going to uh, have another episode this side of Christmas Day. So I hope everyone has a brilliant Christmas if you're listening to it uh, this week that it's out. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you all for all your support. Yeah, thank you. It means a lot. This will be – next year will be our fourth year doing this. Yeah, yeah. Blimey. Yeah. And we may – we may if we're lucky, we don't know. So maybe spread the word and help us. We got this vision that we might be able to hit 100,000 downloads by the end of the year. It's going to be tight for us to do that, but if you can recommend us to anyone and help us out on that front, that'd be great. Or listen to some old episodes, even. Uh, and also, thank you to you lovely scamps who, whenever anybody asks on the Witch Farm account to recommend a podcast, you always recommend us. Um, that is much appreciated. It uh, it does make all the jolly difference. Yep. But I'll also say to you, that's a very good podcast. It's yep. a very good podcast. Very good podcast. 
Excellent. Well, look, have a great Christmas, and we will see you next time on the Quantum Mechanics. Ho, 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 ho. That was more like the Green Giant. Sorry about that. <laughs> Merry Christmas, that was everyone. The Green Giant. <laughs> <laughs> Merry sweet cool, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to get out of these green... Well, what are they? They're sort of like a loincloth. Yeah, you look like an overweight Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> That's only really insulting. Oh, I didn't that's, mean it. That's why my girlfriend loves me. That's how she calls me. You should see my Tinkerbell. Anyway. <laughs> we'll see you later. See you next time. Quantum mechanics.